0: the last thing for me is alignment are we all on the same page do you in your heart of hearts believe that pulling in the same direction as me is in your best interests if we can solve for that magic will happen if i ever get the impression i'm trying to sell you or or convince you we're gonna have some stress and some friction and so the corollary there is just believing that transparency and honesty conversationally is going to lead to the best outcome for both parties it's hard people can get their feelings hurt there can be sensitivities there's power dynamics involved but at a high level alignment has driven a lot of the magic that i've seen in my career hmm.
1: hello professional property managers andrew smallwood here and uh, you may notice a little bit different background than usual if you're watching this or if you're listening you can just imagine and that's because uh, we're in the house that Jordan Muela built here. We're in Austin, Texas. And uh, this feels a little bit like coming to like Jose Andres's kitchen and using his Viking stove uh, and everything else. For those of you that don't know Jordan from Lead Simple, he's got uh, a really great podcast that I subscribe and listen to, Profitable Property Management Podcast. You also have a newsletter uh, that gets out every couple of weeks to folks, highly recommend. We'll... Put some links in the show notes so you can find those resources. But uh we're here today, not to be on his podcast in his studio, but we're in his studio to interview him today mm. for the triple win pod. So Jordan, thanks for having us. Thanks for being so hospitable. Excited You're we could do this. Hell
0: yeah, man. I'm stoked. Let's do it, baby.
1: All right. Hey, for those who um who don't know you, Jordan, you know, what what context would you give people? Uh what should they know about you before we get started?
0: Sure. Well, professional context would be that I've been working in single family residential for about 15 years. I got into it working for a venture-backed HOA management company. And then I kind of stumbled my way through a bunch of different fits and starts. I did some lead gen, did CRM that turned into workflow. I've done some things with some on the finance and the sales side. So kind of a hodgepodge of activities. But at the core for me is working with SMBs in one specific vertical and just getting to know them really, really well and trying to align myself with their problems and becoming really great friends with those people in the process.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, here's what I want to do, Jordan, to, to get things kicked off. Um, I wanted to start with this question. You know, you've been putting out great content. That's my opinion. That's many people's opinion. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, if they've gotten into that work themselves, they know it can be, it can be challenging. A lot mm. of them probably respect what it means to put thoughts on paper and put it out to the world potential customers, anybody, right? Uh, and so I'm just curious, like, what are a couple of the greatest lessons you feel like you've learned from putting your thoughts out in public mm. every two weeks uh, to thousands of people? What
0: have you gained from that experience? Yeah, it's a great question. I think what I've gained is realizing that I'm trying to remove friction from the process. I remember early on my first iterations, the first few companies that I started, I started with content. I don't know what I read but or intuited, but leading with content just made sense. When I first started a lead gen business, I spent three months and I wrote the definitive guide to hiring a property manager. I remember being at a Starbucks at 2 a.m. after it had closed outside with my laptop plugged in, typing away. <clears throat> And it was crazy because I'd never managed any properties. So writing the definitive guide was kind of, it was heavy, but I over-indexed on effort to compensate for my lack of knowledge. And ultimately I produced something that years and years later is still being viewed. And that really left an impression with me. It worked, it was slow, it was ugly, but I knew I could brute force my way through it. Over time, brute forcing is not as practical. So early on I was doing writing, I was doing graphic design. I taught myself a bunch of, off-brand graphic design tools because I you know couldn't even pay for the Adobe suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I realized you could do webinars and that was a bit more efficient, but I would come up with these massive decks and I would over-index on the visuals. <clears throat> I still do that when I speak, honestly. And then I realized I could record videos and I'm pretty good impromptu and that was kind of easy. And then I found podcasting where the content is being produced as fast as we can talk and there's not a ton of editing, and that was just really easy for me. So one of the lessons mm-hmm. for me is remove friction from the process. Do something you enjoy. If it's new me, mean, a means to an end, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Now, let's be honest. That's most people's relationship with marketing. Mm-hmm. Don't really want to do it. I have an aversion, but I want something. I want eyeballs, I want attention. I want leads. So it's not a craft. It's not a discipline. It's not filled with joy, but it's something I have to do. Mm. And so you hear these guilt trips around, well, you should do content marketing. You should record video. But for me, it's like, find the thing that does light you up topically, setting, medium. And if you need some facilitation and some help, that's okay okay too, right? People are filming right now. If I had to set this up and handle that, it it would be over. I would immediately cease any of this stuff (laughs) if I had to handle all the other Uh, all the other items around getting it to the last mile. So professional facilitation and help, collaboration, co-creation. That's Mm -hmm. what it is for me. This is co-creation. The magic and the joy here is that I'm talking to you, having a conversation with you. If you weren't here, I could still be talking on my own and create something, but it would be less interesting for me. And therefore the probability of it happening is lower and the quality would be much lower. Mm. And you know, Jordan,
1: something I've noticed about you uh, in your podcast episodes in my own experience being a guest on your podcast is you ask great questions you're a great conversationalist in my opinion mm. And I feel um, you've got this unique combination of you're genuine and you're sincere. you're very present, you've got great curiosity and a great mix of also being able to throw in you know opine a little bit on what's being talked about or Kind of re-summarize what's been said in a way that brings light to it or an angle to it, uh, you know, that illuminates things in important ways. And I'm just curious, like, when you think about, uh, you know, interviewing or your podcasting or, or doing that, like, what what are you thinking about or what's your focus? What what did you learn to get you into that zone? Maybe where it's doing more naturally or unconsciously. What do you? What would you, advice would you give to people who are looking at doing something like that? Want to go on that journey?
0: Well, you really artfully described the dance when I'm there, and especially when I'm batching and re- recording multiple episodes, there's not a lot of time to think. This is very specific to me. I don't like thinking. I like being there in the moment, the presencing of it. I think prep is great. I respect it. I admire it. I admire it. in some ways, i'm I'm envious. And I think that if I did it more so, the quality would be even higher. But I think I subscribe to maybe the John Daly philosophy of podcasting, which is just, just do it, show up, and be live, be here. And if I was going to give any clarifying goal, for me, it's challenging myself to find the story. The easy out is, well, guest wasn't that great. They're just not that interesting. Mm. That's the easy out. It's the market, timing. Uh, Business is hard. What can you do? Everybody has a story, period. So I like to judge myself, judge the outcome on the basis of keep it on my side, right? The story is there. It's my game, my ability to uncover, to tease out, to find the angle. And that reframe for me is really, really helpful. That said, let's be real. A higher caliber guest makes the job way, way easier. In fact, the best quality guests that I've interviewed made it abundantly clear to me. They inverted it. There was no way I could have screwed up that interview. They were so good, they were so sharp. I could have tongue-tied stumbled through the whole thing and it was still going to be great. And that's the level of ownership they took and at the very best it's, you know, ownership on both sides to making something great.
1: Well, Jordan, now, now you just expressed to everybody why we're here today.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Back at you, man. I love riffing. I love riffing with you.
1: Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, cool. I want to change directions a little bit here because um, something I appreciate in our conversations that we've had that aren't recorded and, uh, you know, something I observe in your recorded conversations is you're thoughtful about not just like what the decision is, but how a decision is made, you know, what goes into it and what kind of thinking or what kind of process would go into it and how that ultimately may lead to the outcomes. Clear on an outcome and thinking about what are the systems, whether the values at play, you know, what's really moving a needle, what really matters here. And so I'm curious, this question at Lead Simple, what would you say drives the decisions
0: that get made at Lead Simple? Mm. Well, I'd say first off that thinking about your thinking is about as high leverage as it gets. It's hard. It's challenging to me. It feels like staring into the sun. It's like, who can, who can last the longest? Because you just want to come to a decision. Just do it. Just do something, anything. But thinking and talking about it can be heavy. Um, and thinking sometimes is is a way out. It's thumb sucking. The obvious is the the answer is near and it's obvious and you just need to do it. Pick an option. Pick something. Pick anything. But just run with it. Course correct later. So I definitely have a bias towards action. At the same time, thinking about first order principles, to use a fancy term, which is just a combination of our values. Um, what is the... The physics of the situation, if you will, like a great mental model for me would be it's not about how fast you're rowing, but the boat that you're in. Mm-hmm. love that idea. You can get so lost on how fast you're you're rowing, but the macro level tide is the market against you or is it for you? is the is the wind in your face or is it at your back? Those sorts of ideas have yielded a lot of fruit mm-hmm. for me. So like macro level decision making for me is first and foremost, does the customer, want what we are trying to produce. A startup to me, and I'm curious on your take on this, a startup to me is a startup because you don't know if people want the thing that you're selling. In my way of thinking, there really is no such thing as a plumbing startup. There could be a new plumbing business, but Mm. nobody's ever wondering, do people want plumbing services? Most tech startups, the number one question is, do people want this? And you're spending an extended period of time writhing in fits and starts to try and get there. Um, So leading with do people want this product market fit is another way to say that is always paramount to me staying in that lane and then making sure that we have the team the people that I'm not trying to do it all myself have all the answers that temptation is it's a daily battle. Dealt with it earlier today. I saw some areas where I was trying to fix it and solve it and just realizing that if that is the solution, things are deeply dysfunctional and other balls are going to get dropped. I, I have to. I'm at the mercy of the talent and the leaders and the vision and the alignment that we have. And that's the last thing for me is alignment. Are we all on the same page? Do you, in your heart of hearts, believe that pulling in the same direction as me is in your best interests? If we can solve for that, Magic will happen. If I ever get the impression that I'm trying to sell you or, or convince you, we're going to have some stress and some friction. And so the corollary there is just believing that transparency and honesty conversationally is going to lead to the best outcome for both parties. It's hard. People can get their feelings hurt. There can be sensitivities. There's power dynamics involved. But at a high level, alignment has driven a lot of the magic that I've seen in my career. Hmm.
1: That's really great. I want to double click on uh, this or maybe another angle of looking at it a little bit which is um, we hear data-driven, right? Um, And I'd say on its face, it sounds like, well, of course, like, you know, I'd want to make decisions that are based in evidence, right? Um, But, you know, I I kind of, like, wonder if that is always the right frame or maybe maybe this is definitions and arguing definitions versus data-driven versus insight-driven or vision-driven or values-driven, some of the things that you were talking about. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, like, Data-driven decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You know how? What's a helpful perspective you think uh, in thinking about that? In in addition to the
0: the things that you mentioned just now. Well, I find myself using data to disprove things most frequently. If I can quickly, cheaply calculate some numbers and validate a premise or an idea, why would I not do that? That's that's just that's a gimme. Low lift. On the positive side, that's that's the proving something is not feasible, on the positive side, intuition is at its core for me as an entrepreneur. Having a sense, a deep sense, some real conviction and being willing to operate in ambiguity, which is inevitable, in order to get far enough that I can start getting some inputs to kind of feel my way and then see a bit more and extend the headlights a bit more. But anytime that I can use math, to say, hey, here's the premise expressed in you know three variables or less in a spreadsheet. If it doesn't, if the spreadsheet says it's not going to pencil, then we can update the variables. We can try again. I've had situations where I had an idea and I had conviction of what needed to happen, and I mapped it all out, and I brought it in this case, I brought it to Chris, my business partner, and the answer was that that doesn't work. It's not sufficient. It's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. I spent a couple of days on that. I don't like hearing that. I'm going to go back and spend another couple of days. And I did. And I was able to com- come to a model that could work. So there's an interplay there. Um, but I think if you can use math to um, avoid some heartache or to come to a fairly obvious conclusion that you just wouldn't see without a spreadsheet, then I do see value in that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. I. What I'm taking away from what you're sharing, it's like the numbers can answer the question, what is, like what is happening, right? And you can test against a hypothesis, see how you're doing, but not always great to answer a question like what could be,
0: mm, mm-hmm. right?
1: And that's where the vision, the values, the, the hypothesis, right, the entrepreneurial thinking begins. Um, you're not going to look at a sheet of numbers necessarily and say, oh, here's what could be. Mm-hmm. It's more describing mm-hmm. here's what is today, here's what has been historically versus a forward
0: looking lens so. affirmation and confirmation mm. the broad direction the sense you know I got 360s I could go anywhere that that sense i believe intuition requires the refinement i'm going to head in this direction or i'm going to i'm going to stack a lot of weight on this idea that requires some refinement that that math is is almost always required on some level yeah very cool all right
1: um next one i want to talk about some interesting strategic level questions in our industry mm. that are happening in there. And there is, I would say, vigorous conversation and opinions on the spectrum here. And um, I'm going to lay a couple things out of like contrasting, but feel free to reject the premise and go, go your own way with it if, if that's not the way it's helpful to set up or how you think about it. But you know, I'll put it this way. And one would be self-service versus concierge service, Hmm. specifically in the property management context. You know, As you look at what's happening, what might be happening in the future, how do you think about property managers that are, are, or what advice might you give for property managers who are thinking through, do I want to build self-service, do I want to build concierge service, high touch?
0: Oh, that's great. I think about friction, back to the idea of friction. Anytime you can remove it, I believe that you should. Mm -hmm. You can't know what people are going to want. You can have a general sense that concierge has a great uh, vibe and a feel, but you can't. Is this person in a rush? Do they need something right now? Is talking to somebody a point of stress? Are they in a moment where that's just overhead and burden? So if you can remove friction, I don't know why you wouldn't. At the same time, if you can think about it based on the slice of the nature of the experience. Some experiences... And you know, feel free to give me some pushback on this, but I think some experiences lend themselves towards a more rich, tactile experience. Other experiences, by nature, feel transactional. They can be pulled up, they can be dressed up, but the nature of the thing, you know, getting a getting a train ticket, going to the subway, the expectations are framed in such a way that I would argue that friction reduction there, I would over-index on friction reduction in those kinds of contexts and in other situations where it's a moment to uh, pause. And like, for example, let's say during a new move-in, that's uh, That That takes a minute, you know? You're going to sit in that. You're starting something new, a new definition of terms, a new relationship. It's related to home. It, that That, to me, is begging for some homage and some acknowledgement of this sacred thing of what it is to be safe in home, in community. So I believe it was Marshall McLuhan that said the medium is the message. And I would relate that to the specific slice of the life cycle, mm-hmm. I think, really – defines where you want to make your specific investments. The idea of having everything be perfect and fully dialed is is great. But I also think that if we're practical, picking certain things and being great in those areas and simply meeting the expectations of friction reduction in other areas, philosophically at the highest level, that's that's kind of how I would tend to lean there.
1: Yeah. Let's let's use the move in experience as example and maybe I'll contextualize this like I think people listening to this could imagine like if amazon and often that we've even had conversations like this people could find past podcasts where the amazon experience Mm -hmm. right is referenced like you kind of imagine if amazon was doing a move-in like what it would be like Mm -hmm. right and how hard it would be to get a hold of a person Mm -hmm. but also it'd be like it just works Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. what i need is Mm -hmm. right there very fast when i need it um that's how it's built versus say if disney Mm -hmm. was building the move-in experience um, how different that might be. How surprising that might be, how delighting that might be. Mm. And so, mm. like maybe starting mm. with the move-in mm. experience, what are your thoughts on you know what of those experiences do you think wins? Does one win over the other? Do both win? How do you see that maybe playing out in property management?
0: <sighs> That's I love the way that you framed that. If I was going to add one more of you, there's a great episode that is on the founder of LinkedIn's podcasts. Uh, Reed Hoffman. I'm forgetting the name of the podcast right now, but he's got a great podcast. Masters of Scale? I believe so. Okay. And in one episode, he interviews Brian Chesky, a founder of Airbnb, and they talk about Um, a mental exercise of the 10-star experience. And I love this framework. And it was basically to say, think about a five-star experience in any process in your business. You know, really five stars, something you'd be incredibly proud of. You're probably not doing it right now. Write it out. Let's go to six stars seven stars. Let's get crazier and crazier and go to 10 stars. And the point of the reframing is obviously we cannot deliver a 10 star experience. 10 star experience is the property manager pays for Mario Lopez to show up to your house and greet you (laughs) as you are entering your new home. Is that going to happen? No. But the process of imagineering, if we will, to use a Disney term, of really thinking about uh, thinking about it on the craziest level possible would probably give some inspiration, some motivation, a couple of quick wins. I like that that lens of how can we reimagine the boring and the mundane. If we're juxtaposing experience versus convenience in that specific situation, um, I'd say, a, I think you probably are tighter on this than I have. I've seen you really dial into some specific use cases like this. But some stuff that comes off right out of the gate would be, what are the areas where people are likely to get frustrated? What are the mm-hmm. areas where somebody is given the opportunity to screw it up, if you will? If you can remove the surface area for the possibility of confusion, failure, somebody's late, they're looking at a keypad, they don't know how to get into the unit, etc. Just how can we just reduce the failure surface area possibility. What is an example of somewhere where we can take on complexity behind the scenes and abstract away complexity? You think about a car, a dashboard, if we remove the dashboard, it's simpler in some ways. It took less effort to build. But the reality is that the additional complexity of a dashboard in the vehicle simplifies the end user experience. I'm down to take on selective complexity to abstract away points of confusion or friction, it is easy to get into that compliance mindset. And so from on the process side, I live in that world, I live in the workflow world, one of the easy mistakes is to be overly literal, overly wooden, to chase edge cases, which is really challenging, especially if you manage in multiple markets, multiple asset classes, it is mushrooming, branching logic that can just get unwieldy very, very quickly. So asking yourself, what are the selective Areas where we can make one decision that solves many other decisions. Like systemically, what's kind of the cascading tree and how high up can we reach to make a decision that just drives and forces complexity? And will there be some instances where somebody is disappointed, frustrated? What about X, Y, Z? What about that edge case? There will be. But the beauty is we're working with professional property managers that have judgment discernment they can jump in for the 1% and if jumping in for the 1% and dealing that in a handspun way allows the 99% of, of experiences to be well oiled and smooth that's really exciting to me if we were going to juxtapose all of that against uh, uh something imagineered, something really exciting I, to me i guess it feels like a a false dichotomy because you're solving for for different things right the amazon way was never meaning to solve for the experience and the feeling and the emotion that you would have being in a five-star restaurant with your family and your loved ones and thinking like, wow, I'm going to remember this moment forever. I've never had that experience having a package delivered to me and, and opening mm-hmm. it up. What I have gotten is like, this is so easy. I can't believe it's here so fast. I'm I'm going to buy more. For better or for worse, I'm just going to buy more. So I think what you're solving for um, is different. And therefore it, it doesn't feel like a juxtaposition. It feels like two things that are complementary, and the totality of it is a really sticky relationship that gets me excited as the operator of the business. How can I get excited about doing what I'm doing? How can I move from transactional adversarial to something that feels transformative and good and noble and really serving people in a way that is differentiated from what I know they would get from 99% of the other vendors in my space. That's about me showing up at my best, to play the long game, to be in the right mindset, the frame of mind emotionally that allows me to do my best work that benefits both me and the customer. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I love what you said there. And my personal point of view, I'd say is is pretty pretty much what you said of, I feel like there is a little bit of false choice going on And that these things necessarily have to be in conflict. And it's really contextual. And it starts with a question of what's relevant to the customer and what Mm -hmm. they're trying to get done or what's going to deliver value to them in this moment. Mm -hmm. And is the answer to that question, oh, my God, Jordan knows me. That was so easy. It just worked. Like, finally, it just worked, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Exactly how Mm -hmm. it should. And it's going to be consistent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's going to be predictable, right? It's going to be convenient. On the other side, it's, oh, my God, Jordan knows me. He gets me. Finally, someone cares. Mm. Finally, someone connects. Mm -hmm. Finally, somebody surprises, right? And gives me something different. Like I feel something in response to Mm. what just happened and what's going on. And so while Amazon is doing very well with this, Disney's doing very well with that, Chick-fil-A, Ritz-Carlton's doing good with this, right? There's different ideas for what experiences will win with what consumers, right? Mm -hmm. In what context. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think something we're passionate about, small business entrepreneurs, they have their ideas, right? And they get to test their ideas. And I think we're going to see just a lot of interesting things over the next decade of people testing their ideas for what the winning experiences will be right what's going to deliver relevance what are those experiences that connect that say i trust this person right that i choose this over the other experiences that are available how do they create that difference right where people say i want to come back for more of this i want to buy more of that mm-hmm. for better or worse as you said they get me that's that's what i think we will see you know
0: in the days ahead if we could just press on that here's one thing i'd love to hear from you the let's say aspirational idea of an experience that's so good that I want to stay with this vendor. That idea has filled the pages of many a deck for many a fundraise. What's your take on the practicality of that? What What's what's the bar to get there? I feel like this is similar to asking the question of what's the bar for self-management. If an app could do what professional property managers could do, it would be here. And you and I wouldn't be in this podcast talking about what we're talking about, right? I uh, <laughs> The idea that an app is gonna replace property managers, I'm like, okay, you know, next. Like, can an app add value and do interesting things? Yeah, definitely. The idea that it's just broadly gonna replace professional PMs feels cheap to me. Similarly, the idea of an experience that is so good that I wanna stay with my PM. I mean, think about that. I'm staying with my PM over all of the other inventory choices available. The experience was so good. That is a high bar. A, I just finished watching We Crash. B, I just read some PR about Adam Newman's latest housing startup that has some community vibes, et cetera. Mm. What do you think the bar is for an experience to be so good for somebody to to make that decision? Yeah. I would say,
1: I feel like the question is more important than the answer. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Fair. Fair. I would start there. And I would say, I'll just use the example you said earlier of like Mario Lopez, everything (laughs) like that. Like- it it like that sounds fun. The question is, is it really relevant? Mm-hmm. And is it something relevant that's expected of me by this customer?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if it's not relevant, I'm not willing to pay for it or stay for it. It's mm-hmm. I'm actually it's not an experience mm-hmm. I will stay for. It novelty was, would be the term. Novelty is a good thank you for saying that in one word. Um and I think experiences people will pay for and stay for to me is the bar because that is what defines relevance, practical, sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's the point of view we come from of triple win. The the idea there is there's value created and it's shared. If it's Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. shared by all or not aligned by all, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It it may work in a moment, but there's either got to be something else. And it's felt for too long in property management like trade-off like compromise like competing interests mm-hmm. and so how do we create new value that allows us to create experiences people will pay for and stay for so you know what what does that look like okay maybe it's not mario lopez but maybe it's a ribbon on the door mm. that's very inexpensive but wow somebody took the time to do this this wasn't what i was expecting there that's what i think you're looking for you're saying what um you know, what's going to create the emotion that I'm looking for? What are the experiences I can create that are going to take somebody from where they are to a new place, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately, there's got to be a business justification at the at the end of the day. It doesn't have to be right in that moment or realize in that moment. But at some point, that better show up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're paying for it or staying for it. Otherwise, it's showing it's, it's not relevant,
0: would be my thought. One of the reasons that you and I get along, and there's a couple of them, but one of them is I really appreciate your interest in the cross application of domain knowledge, taking mm. the best ideas elsewhere, importing them here. Mm. We're a stone's throw from multifamily. There's some real juicy thinking on this point. Yeah. And I wanna acknowledge that the bar is lower when you completely control the inventory. You built the house, the layout, the pool. Talking about experience there, yeah. it's It's a whole different consideration. But I feel like there's part of me that that would just love to sit for 12 hours interviewing people in a multifamily context and and seeing what on-site managers have to say that's portable to single family. Cause loyalty in that concept in that context does seem easier where I'm like, you know what, I want to live in another gray star community. I'm moving from Houston to to Dow. Dal- I like the aesthetic. I like the style. All of those variables are not controlled. In single family, mm-hmm. but there's more that are that can be controlled than I think have been fully seen or teased out thus far. Are you with me? You f- you feel that there's there's something to be learned from to ported from the multifamily side. So
1: I think it is a mistake to say to shut oneself off from being exposed to ideas or possibilities outside of you know the exact space that we're in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like real innovation comes from that and even potentially further than just the step Mm -hmm. of multifamily, right? Maybe something much further away than that that brings some of the best ideas to come in the future. And I would say there's a respect that needs to be held of understanding what are the problems that are unique to this asset class. Amen. And I I I don't think it's good advice to say, well, whatever multifamily is doing, let's just copy Amen. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think we see in multifamily examples of what we talked about. There are things that I think are happening over there where people are paying, staying, they're, they're, you know, there's things that are delivering on that. And I think there's a lot of <laughs> stuff that is not, you know, not doing that. And it's novelty or it's superfluous. It's not really driving a result or really connecting. Mm -hmm. Um, And thinking about, if I think of class A multifamily, uh, you know, when I think about 20 something young professionals in a city, single, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in that gray star community, whatever it might be, versus a family of four Mm -hmm. with a dog living in the suburbs, um, one of those may want a golf simulator. One of them may want pest control service, right? Done really well. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're understanding very clearly who you are for.
0: Mm.
1: What it comes back to that intimacy to the customer. And what I appreciate that's happening is I think for a long time, um, so focused on just like digitizing transactions and getting like the core functions of real estate to work that there hasn't been as much of that focusing on people and their problems what are they trying to accomplish what unique position are we in to help them do that how can we create these kind of experiences together um that kind of thinking i feel like is is more and more coming we're going to see a lot of failures on the way Mm -hmm. um but i think we will also see successes and this is part of the journey for all asset classes in the 10 years ahead I don't I don't want to keep talking on my own podcast here when I'm here to interview. <laughs> but I'm curious, Like, it, does that answer your question and what else would you add to that?
0: Yeah, I think that that does get at it. The money is in contextualization. How many cheap thoughts have we had? If you could just read a book and get results, we'd all be billionaires and have six packs, right? <laughs> contextualization <laughs> is where the money is at. And that's the joy of the mm. cross application of domain knowledge. So, yeah, you fleshed it out. You know, the asset class. Who's the ICP? Who's in that home? Mm-hmm. What are their priorities? What do they need? I wish there was a way to have a renting experience for more for 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 our clients. <clears throat> I've I have I've had I've been through that life cycle recently. I've dealt with a property manager. A client. I've looked at paperwork. I've received I've I've received an RBP from mm-hmm. the inside and had that experience. The analog is I should go sign up for my own software more frequently. Mm. So if you're hearing this, dogfooding is is part of the answer. Mm. Just find a way to put yourself in the shoes of the people that you are servicing. And I promise you good things will happen and come from that.
1: Let's ask about this a little bit because, Jordan, I feel like one thing I respect about you and one thing I know we vibe on it is that desire – like. I feel like lead simple in you when I see and look at um your career as I understand it, you know like you you didn't fall in love with uh, all property management and the specific solution and exactly what you were doing there and yes there's there's still relevancy today right there's still leads today. there's things that are happening there, but it feels like you fell in love with a customer mm-hmm. and you've followed their problems, mm-hmm. you've tracked your way through and and like You've had a real desire to understand first versus understand what I'm what I'm selling first, right? Understanding their problem first, understanding the context that people are in, what they're trying to accomplish, what their challenges are that they're encountering, and how you might be able to help. And so I'm curious, you know, what is your process or how do you think about getting that kind of customer intimacy and insight? How have
0: you gone about that or how has that worked for you? You know, I'm going to use a loaded term here for me. This is like enlightened capitalism that comes back to alignment is believing that helping people is the most profitable path. It's the most rewarding path. It's the path that I can be proud of. It's the path that you can actually, um, on a purely financial basis, experience the most success with. So I don't know that I had some noble lens at the outset. In fact, frankly, from day one, I didn't want to know the customers. I didn't want to be connected that, that Process took a lot of time and a lot of years. But the reality is, if you can have any advantage in business, it should be a hungry market. Give the people what they want. Surely you've had this experience of seeing an entrepreneur that had an idea and this insight for this thing that should exist, and people just didn't want it. And they push and they press. And it's like, man, let me give you the permission to realize you can stop. You can do something else. But the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur is try to try to force your ideas on other people. So Mm. you have to start with demand. Mm. And then you have to ask a series of other questions. There are things that people want that you cannot profitably provide. There are very specific things that I have not done in property management. And I've been tempted with a lot of cash grabs, particularly as I started more stuff and you have more profile, people, you come to you and it's like, hey, put your face on this, put your name behind this, Mm. I'm gonna cut you a, a check And uh, to be honest, when people – at the moment that I hear, like, they're going to cut me a check and what I'm going to get is immediate cash, like, that's the first red flag for me. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, do I understand this? Is this really going to help people? Am I confident in the service quality? And there's a lot of opportunities to make money where those boxes just weren't checked – For me, so my kind of guiding philosophy is, is this going to be really profoundly useful? Is this something I understand, I care about, I'm passionate about, can I make a unique contribution? Those are some things that kind of hedge in how I look at opportunities. I I do think that you've kind of globally read, right, how I've navigated through things. But I think in any career, it's just as much about the opportunities that you did not choose to exploit as it is about the ones that you did choose to exploit. Mm. That's great. Let me
1: take this a a different, one more thing on strategy. We talked about self-service, Amazon, Disney, some of this. To me, there's this core question that people have to ask of different versus better. Mm, Here we go. And so what are your thoughts? Like, Like entrepreneurial spirit, see that. Tell me a little bit about how you think about this in your own application and company and what you
0: observe in the property management world. Well, f- for those that are listening, hearing different versus better, that's very loaded to me. Mm-hmm. That is like a segue into a very specific conversation around, it's its the nexus of positioning, branding, marketing, leadership, identity, like there's so much that's caught up in it. But if I was going to summarize what it is for me, is that better is degrees. It's a little bit better relative to what? Exactly what somebody else is doing. Better to what? My competitor, yep, yep. There's somebody else doing exactly what I'm doing and I am 20% better than them. That is a specific conversation with an obvious and demonstrable gain, the 20%. Categorically different than a, a different conversation of like, I'm so glad you asked and I could understand why maybe you were thinking that we're doing that. It's actually not that. Let me explain why. And the let me explain why can't be some shallow bullshit lipstick on a pig. It needs to actually be materially better and you could help me tease out some use cases here, mm-hmm. but different is 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 a level of consideration that begets a new frame or a new lens, a different approach to a similar feeling problem that really transforms the conversation because it cannot be compared. And I think maybe um, one example that comes to mind, this is probably the less enlightened example, is when you go to the grocery store and you see a branded, like for example, H-E-B is big here, and they have a a brand of their own stuff. I don't remember, I think let's call it Hill Country Fair.
1: Hmm.
0: The point of the Hill Country Fair item is, it's relabeled, it's the same stuff with new relabeling, but the point is I cannot make an apples to apples comparison to the thing that it it originally was under a different brand. That's the lowest possible bar here, is that I can't quite make an, an equivalent example. The high bar is that the use case and the approach is meaningful enough that in the mind of consumer, you wouldn't ever compare these things with one another. Mm. And that is really freaking hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? And like many good ideas, I look at that and I say, wow, that's not for everybody. You know? If you wanna commit yourself to the craft of differentiation the reward is obviously there but it's a lot of it's a lot of trouble it's a lot of reimagination it's a lot of looking at the familiar and the banal with a new lens and a new frame of what is the deepest essence of the desire and the need and is there a better is there is there a is there a different fit or frame that allows the conversation to go Sideways. And we've talked about some random examples. The the sushi burrito, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. What is so I'm either gonna get get a burrito? Well, I was gonna get a burrito, but now I'm gonna get a sushi burrito. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't jump from burritos to sushi burritos. It's just mm. it's just too different, you know? The claim that a sushi burrito is 10% better than a regular burrito kind of doesn't even make sense because it has raw fish in it. It's just kind of weird in that sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, it's a rich conversation that I've I've enjoyed being in that conversation with you, and I haven't fully mastered it. it in many ways, that conversation feels like an infinite game per mm. se. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a solve. It feels like a keep thinking about it, keep being stimulated by it, and I think I'll be in that. that that's one of the few business conversations I'll be in for the rest of my career. Mm.
1: You know, I think in bringing some practical examples to this and reflecting back a little bit of what I heard, you know, there's this choice of better, faster, cheaper. It doesn't have to be better, quote, unquote. right? could be faster, could be cheaper. The plumber, right? It's like a plumber is a plumber, is a plumber. This one costs a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're the same, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How comparable you are to something else, right? How close you are, it is that comparison, that contrast, right, that draws... Either it's incremental Mm -hmm. or it's vast, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the distinction in our minds, our perception of is it better or different? And totally agree with it's not something you can just say. Like you could say you're different, but it doesn't matter what you say, it's matter what the customer perceives, Mm -hmm. right? Of is this the same thing as something else, but a little bit better, faster, cheaper, Mm -hmm. um, slightly, you know, slightly. You know, less comparable in this aspect, right? But at its core, the same versus here's a whole different look at this, at solving the problem and a different approach, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe I have the same goal, right? And I hear this like in property management, I actually want to come back to Lead Simple and how you guys have thought about this. Um, But starting in property management, there's like interesting conversations going on, Jordan, that maybe you've overheard about asset management mm-hmm. versus property management. Mm-hmm. These are not the exact same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, okay, here's what property management is, and you think you're looking for property management.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, okay, we do that, right? Or we do some of that or whatever it might be. But what we also do is really asset management. And so if you're looking for this and this and this, right, and the, w- the kind of conversations we will have with you sound like this mm-hmm. and this, mm-hmm. right? then really what you're looking for is not just a property manager, you're looking for an asset manager. And that's what we do, and here's how, how we do that. Mm-hmm. right? Our conversations that I see people having as an example. you know, Are there other examples in property management that you see or interesting or innovative approaches that people are taking where you'd say, okay, they're saying it's not just property management in the commoditized or easily duplicated version of that. Mm. Here's
0: some interesting things happening that would be different. I don't know that I have a a definitive money example that comes to mind. One positioning phrase that I heard that I think came from that actually was property inspections versus property awareness. Mm -hmm. What is that? It, It invokes. I know what an inspection is. You're coming into my house and taking pictures. Property awareness. Huh. What is that? You know? I think maybe I have some sense. It sounds maybe more holistic. Mm -hmm. The language, language is the house of being. The language is the handle on the suitcase. You can move a suitcase without a handle. Sure is a whole heck of a lot easier with the handle on it. So language does matter what it invokes, the richness of the starting point of the thought. That's the ultimate distillation is down to language. But if we think about The broad offering within property management, I would say, I go back to the interview I did years ago with Steve Grossland, where he explained to me the difference between being a fiduciary versus a functionary. Mm. And I find every single experience that I've ever had a feeling commodification. Mm. I remember being at a trade show, at a vendor round table, going around the tables. You ever done that? Mm -hmm. And I remember having somebody snap at me, coming up to the table, kind of I don't know what I was doing, like straightening my jacket and somebody started snapping. Hey, let's go start talking. That was the feeling of not being sufficiently differentiated. You buddy, 10 other people came to the table, start talking. So when you get that feeling of, let's say (laughs) that pricing conversation, Mm. what do you charge? Well, it depends on a variety. It's a range of, it's, it's a range of from X to Y, but I'd need to ask you a couple of questions. Would that be okay with you? What do you charge? That, uh, I don't wanna work with that person. Mm. That's information, you can get, it's frustrating, and I get that, but it's also information about how you're being perceived. I've gone through a transformation in my career from being just a vendor, guy behind a booth, and we know the low end of that. We've all walked past a vendor, staring at their phone, just praying to God that somebody doesn't talk to them. And you've also had the experience of seeing a vendor that is your trusted advisor, a friend, somebody of you thinking, I'm in relationship with this person and we're just, we're just friends. I like this person. Mm. That range exists for every service, including property management. I know as a working professional, I'm so enticed. And really, it's by kryptonite in a as a consumer. If I have an experience that leaves me with the impression that this person has, has enlightened me, that what I thought was simply a bag of services. Is actually a craft what's the last craft that you've experienced you know what comes to mind off the cuff is like sushi you ever watched jiro dreams of sushi Mm -hmm. as an example a man spends 30 40 50 years perfecting the preparation of raw fish wow divine to behold that to be in that to, to have that experience and it's something you can respect as a working professional so As it relates to property management, the functionary goes and does things. And when they don't do things, you get upset and you tell them they made a mistake and you threaten them and you say, well, I'm going to go take my money elsewhere. A professional tells you what to do. Sir, actually, that's not wise. We're not, I'm not going to let you uh, have no reserve. I'm not going to let you not repair the property. Those are the conditions of the engagement because this is a craft that I've spent an extended period of time and committed myself to, and it matters, and I have self-respect. There are terms upon which we're gonna engage in relationship, and if those work for you, I'd love to be in relationship. If not, I promise you, there's somebody that will take your money under any conditions elsewhere, and I would suggest you go work with them. Mm -hmm. That tonal difference, I think, is what is at the root. Call it the trusted advisor, call it anything you want. I think that's what people, there's more people craving for that than have that clarity in their mind because it wasn't presented to them as an option to have a trusted advisor, to be able to rest in the comfort of the, of the demonstrable competence of a property management professional. That's so good that of course I wouldn't argue with them. Of course I wouldn't try and quibble about things. And if I do try and quibble about things, of course they would tell me that maybe I'm a better fit elsewhere at a really high level. That's what comes to mind for me.
1: Hmm. I love what you said, and I feel like it ties maybe the biggest misperception or misconception that I hear around this conversation, which is that many people think the choice of better versus different is it's, – it's a marketing question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned no lipstick on a pig. Like there have been a lot – people listening closely to this, they'll hear it all throughout of there's got to be a real difference – In the competency Mm -hmm. or the skill that gets expressed, whether that's your expertise and judgment that leads to different decisions, not better. Here's a totally different way of thinking, Mm -hmm. right, that goes not – like when I think of fiduciary versus functionary, Mm -hmm. to me it sounds different in a way of – functionary is I am doing activities, right? Uh, There's this performance of of activities or services that's happening – Whereas, fiduciary seems to imply this outcome that we're after and getting, um, you know, and there's that responsibility Mm -hmm, to it mm -hmm. and saying this is complicated and complex and dynamic. And so in order to get it, we can't just perform the same thing over and over again, thoughtlessly or mindlessly, right? And that's easily duplicated and that's commoditized. And again, if you wanna find somebody to go do that, you can go do that. But if you're after this outcome, that's what we're here to do. And if you like how we think about making our decisions mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. here's our thought process. Mm-hmm. Then here's who, who you know, how we work with you on that. Um, you know, Jeff Hoffman talks about finding your gold medal talent, so to speak. And it's that. What's that competency? Or if you think of the Jim Collins, what are you best in the world? What mm-hmm. can you be mm-hmm. best in the mm-hmm. world at?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, for a specific customer or in a situation. Um, And maybe for people like they aren't quite there today, but it's something they can aspire to and clearly say, I can see how we can get there and get to that position Mm -hmm. where that's what we can own and be known for. um, And others are compared to us, right, that try to follow Mm -hmm. or try to do it our way um, as opposed to going a different way. Jordan, I guess on this, I want to bring it back to Lead Simple for a second. How, how do you think and talk about this at Lead Simple? You know, what, what um, it, you know, it seems like what you guys have done recently to me is not just say, okay, well, we're building a better version of the CRM, mm-hmm. right, that we became known for in the property management space where there's something different that customers need here and we're it's workflow automation, right, and it's a different approach. There's a different way of thinking about how to win in the property management business where... If somebody wants to go down that path, this is, you know, what they would do and use. How are you thinking about um, communicating to the market what you guys are doing?
0: Well, related to your previous kind of riff there, I would say if you're questioning differentiation or specifically what you can be the best in the world at, I don't know, nothing. It's probably a question of how will how small of a circle you're willing to draw, mm. It's actually really easy to be the best in the world if you draw a small enough circle. Mm -hmm. But it can feel like a risk. I'm alienating all these other people. But you're the best in the world for this limited number of subset. And if you nail that, you have permission to draw a one-inch wider circle and then expand the ring and expand the ring and expand the ring. And I think that's the journey. But it's the confidence and the conviction and the joy that comes from the best in the world that enables growth. And that has to involve some level of conviction. Mm. Convictionless businesses, convictionless sales are dime a dozen. It's endemic where the world is plagued by them Mm. and the experience it's telegraphed, you know, it's felt so that when I think about what we're doing at lead simple, the conviction was around the belief that there is a better way. We're running a software company. We benefit from software. I believe in the premise of scalable systems that have the ability to reduce errors, reduce pain, disconnect bodies from from growth? How many properties can a property manager manage? How many times have I heard that question? I'm sure you've been asked that question a lot of times, and it's a valid question. At the same time, what if there was a different question? What if we could divorce that? What if we could focus on creating rails in the business that would allow a new skill to be learned so that we could get off of having to have this one-to-one connection between people and uh, the properties that could be managed. And we could focus on a different set of activities so that people that we do have on staff could take their unique talents, could take their humanity, their creative expression, combined with the philosophy and the vision of that organization and manifest that in a way that is unique to what only humans can do, which is not sending out a delinquent rent email. That is not something that only humans can do. So I think there's some elevation of the humanity of your staff in that. Uh, There's obviously some, some efficiency in that, but at its core, what it was for us was believing that small businesses could figure out how to harness technology. Mm. What was off-putting for me as a technology provider was the idea that it's for us. There's an elite class of, let's say, you know, venture-backed companies that have the technology, and if if, mm. if you want the technology, you you've got a you've got to succumb. You've got to come here join us, et cetera. And we have a lot of friends that have gone that route, and that's fantastic, and I love that vision, and I hope that it, it works out. But what I believe in my heart of hearts is that somebody who is managing 300 units can have a massive transformity, transformative outcome harnessing technology if they have the right frame, if the frame and the opportunity was given. And so the challenge for us was, do we believe that a small business operator can harness something like conditional logic, which can be scary, intimidating. But my fundamental belief is that the nature of the work being done in the industry is changing. It's transforming. It's going from fully analog to, uh, enabled by some let's call it V1 software solution solutions. and the V3 is really a reengineering and a reimagining of what the work is. Is the work executing specific tasks or could the work be architecting the structure and the rails upon which a given task flows through the organization from from conception to execution? what are what are the stops? What are the time delays? Who's involved? what roles? That takes some belief, to believe that to believe that we, me, you, anyone could do that. But the upside is so profound. And furthermore, I wanna I wanna pull towards where we could go, not you wanna skate to the puck per se, not where are we at today, but where where could we go? I believe that the nature of the work is changing. A great example of this would be you think about some technology like Zapier, for example. It's it's kind of tricky, a little difficult. And where I see people get hung up is not in the specifics because you're talking about talented, capable working professionals. It's around identity. Mm. My identity is such that if you put me in a crane and you tell me to operate it, I will say no. I do not know how to do that. I'm not thinking like, well, maybe I could figure it out. No, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know about it. I don't want to know about it. I'm getting out of the crane. As it applies here, if your identity is that t- technology is not for me, it's not it's not my job. That's like meta. Like oh, I could learn that. It's heavy. It's an inconvenience. It's extra. It's above and beyond. That's so different than than a starting assumption that like this is the job. And the new generation that is coming into the workforce right now, their identity around technology implementation, augmentation, and usage is such that their identity is simply in line with doing the. Kinds of activities that allow technology to be fully harnessed. That's the vision for me. I see five to 10 years architecting processes, having conditional logic in place, having that stuff on lock so that the bulk of your interactions are thoughtful, are uh, experience driven, are focused on doing the thing that only you and your staff can do. That really excites me. So there was a little bit of belief in that, but it's. um, you know, we're here for it. And thus far it's gone well. So I'm excited about what is, but I'm really, really excited about what will be in the next five to 10 years.
1: Beautiful. Love that. I'm thinking about, Jordan, how I imagine a property manager who's getting into the business, building their first clients, doing the work, hands-on, they're handling the maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. Solo operation. Mm And the identity, right, that they hold in order to do that. Sure, I'm stepping out on my own. It's entrepreneurial. I have expertise in real estate. I'm learning all these different things, mastering my craft, right, we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. doing these things. And I I recognize I need tools, right? They're starting to put those things in place. There's There's a jump at some point, right, as you involve other people and want to grow at a certain point where it seems like it can be easy to get stuck to make this shift, right? That you're talking about. How would you describe how somebody would identify themselves? Mm. Going from here's where I was, and here's how I need to see myself. Here's the role I need to embrace. You you did talk about it, and you touched on this, but I'm curious to double underline
0: that point. You know what I've found is that it's easy to guilt trip people in business, and I've done it before. I've been the guy up on stage, browbeating people about some business best practice that they're not doing. And the reality is that that's cheap. What's useful is, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What are your goals? And if your goal is to be at 100 units, highly profitable, and you never want to add more doors, and you want to have a, a stress fee life and be that fiduciary, you know, let's call it the Steve Crossland model, mm-hmm. then why would you embrace a guilt trip that says, well, you don't manage a 1,000 doors, and you don't know how to do sales and marketing? What if the retort could be, yeah, you're right, but boy, my quality of life is exactly what I want it to be. Thank God I I didn't have to understand sales and marketing. That's a fit. That's, That's relief to me. In the same way with technology, there's a lot of operators in the business right now that are going to successfully exit the business, never going down this journey. I have no interest in guilt tripping those folks. The new wave will most definitely be going down this journey. But I think that the tells or the heuristic for assessing where you're at is what is your appetite for thinking abstractly about the meta of what you do. Categorically, when you think about a a piece of work or a given process and how, let's, let's just say it's a lease renewal, the idea of deconstructing it into its essence, looking at it in a flow chart, assessing the uh, steps, thinking about time delays, thinking about the roles per se, not John does this job, but the person in X X role does that job. If that kind of thinking turns you on, that's probably a good indicator that this is a, a path that you would get some joy from and a lot of gains. If that turns you off, then you have some following options. You can either holistically say, not for me, I'm not going to be bothered by that guilt trip, move on. Or you can ask the next question of, how do you feel about placing a staff member that has that competence? Are you willing to oversee? Are you willing to invest? Are you willing to make the resource commitment that can make that possibility true for your business without you having to do it? And if you're not going to do it personally, that really needs to be true. This is this is a significant lift, and if I ever hear complaints about Lead Simple, dealt with one yesterday. Somebody said I thought this was going to be plug and play. Mm. I, I hear that feedback. I receive that. I reflect on that. Did we misalign? Did we misset miss expectations? But holistically, how I think about it is, it would be very easy to look at something like a um, a gym membership. Let's say you really want to get fit. 2023 is your year. You're going to get ripped, and it would be easy to Think about the cost inputs as like the gym membership. That wasn't the, the cost input. The cost input was your will, your commitment. You showed up, you did the, the gym membership. Mm. That wasn't the input. Similarly, if you want to go down this path, what you're paying for implementation or for software, that, that ain't it. What it what, what's it is the inconvenience of being willing to do things differently, of having stops and starts, of rethinking, reimagining of, of pressing through. So you've got to be clear on what the upside is. And if there's not a clear and compelling upside for you, for example, if, if the upside was getting organized, that ain't it mm-hmm. useful. I'm down with being organized. That, that ain't it. That's not enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If for example, the upside was, I never want to have somebody leave my business again and, and be in a panic I never want to have somebody leave and feel like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how to do their job. I never want to have somebody's performance start sliding and think, I can't have the conversation. If this goes sideways, I, I don't know what I would do. I'll never forget the conversation of, of talking with somebody and having them describe that somebody stole from their business and they couldn't fire them. Andrew, mm-hmm. they just they couldn't fire. They were, they were so heartbroken, wretched about the theft, but they could not fire this person because they didn't know how to do their job that's heavy, man. If that motivates you, that's enough to get up off the couch and to go down this path and this journey. That is really, It's internal. It's an internal journey to re-architect, to reimagine, and you might go down that path and a key staff person that was leading that effort could could quit, and you may have to replace them. But holistically, if you can see the upside of being in a place where the business is streamlined, it's organized, it's not you manifesting your will and exerting your will on the business. I know you've read a lot of great business literature, and I believe it's actually Jim Collins that refers to the idea of the genius with a 1,000 helpers. It's the temptation and the pull for every entrepreneur. I know it. Hmm. I did it. I have the answer. Come to me with your problems. Come, come. I'll tell you what to do. I have the genius, and I feel good. I'm important. I have the answers. It's so tempting. But if you're looking for a paradigm instead that allows you to empower your people while maintaining oversight, while knowing what's happening. If you're looking to speak into the process at scale without having to be on it and micromanaging it, that's the kind of upside that can can really get you there. So that's my heuristic is what's what's the upside? What are you willing to sacrifice to get there? And if that's not compelling to you, just realizing that you don't have to do it and you can probably sun- sunset your business in the near term. I think I do think things change in five to ten years. I do think technology will go from will become increasingly more ubiquitous. So I'm never the the doomsdayer kind of guy that everything's gonna change quickly, but this time horizon is changing. I think we could all agree right now that in this day and age, as a consumer, if you're looking at working with property managers and one of the five options does not use a uh, professional software like Atfolio, for example, as a consumer, if you have if you have some sense as a consumer, it's like, ah, oh, nah, that's weird. You know, maybe you have that figured out maybe you're doing it the old way, but now nah, that's weird. I'd rather not. you know So eventually, I think what we're talking about will become a hygiene factor, even though it is not quite yet. right now it's an mm-hmm. opportunity. It's upside. Eventually, advantages competed away. There's always a regression to the mean. Eventually, this will become table stakes and a hygiene factor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Man, really great. It's something I really took away from what you said is, you know defining that goal of is this a lifestyle business? Am I trying to be a big e-entrepreneur? Understanding why you're here, what your end game is, and you know, lining up to, what am I willing to do? Who am I willing to be or become Right, in order to get there? Who do I need to be in order to get there? And to be able to make the kind of decisions, to be able to execute in a certain way, some people are going to need this. Some people aren't going to need that or feel an urgent need to do that. And uh, I like how you clarified that. Um, this brings me to a couple things to bring this home, Jordan. So one is at TWLX, and thank you for being, uh, you know, a speaker. Thank it you for a being joy, man. a sponsor. Great to have you there. Um, you know, there was a, a line which maybe we, we could change based on our conversation here, but the original line was: behind every ten X experience is a ten X process, mm. or you know, behind every ten star experience, right, is a a ten star process. What are you noticing about the people who are Leading the industry, in your opinion, um, developing great process, developing great systems. What do you notice about how they approach that? I think we've talked about mindset here. What are some of the the practical things that you see, thing you know, people approaching that to to get into that work and develop a great process?
0: Well, I would say the bleeding edge, the cutting edge, where things are heading. Um, what I'm seeing on that front is people that are requiring more control. Mm-hmm. Requiring more data portability. And I I heard I was just at the systems conference in Vegas, and I heard somebody, they were paying us a compliment, Lead Simple a compliment, and saying, unlike so-and-so, with Lead Simple, I control XYZ. And it would be easy for me to think like, oh, well, they trust us more. They know that, you know, we're for the little guy. It's not that. It's data portability. Yeah. It's the setup it's the framework. It was intended for you to be able to take your data, do what you will, push it in, push it out, take it elsewhere. I'm seeing that more and more. I'm seeing that the old way of it's all in one system of record and you will manipulate it and interact with it based on the parameters of that system of record to now openness. And openness on some level is chaos. That's the free market. I mentioned conditional logic earlier. We built that with some use cases in mind. Well, oh, this would be great because people could set up their lease renewal this way. No, not really. There's more like a billion different permutations that we can't control or fully understand. And that's, that's the beauty of it. So that unique creative expression built on the ability of controlling access to your data and having your your data be able to talk to as many apps as possible. I think that uh, on some level, that's giving rise to possibilities that just weren't there. And that's what's got me really, really excited is seeing folks that are making a bet on themselves and their ability to figure it out and their ability to put their own unique fingerprint on how they do their business and having a tech stack that reflects the need for that. I think that's a broad level of progression. And in terms of how the, the processes are architected or designed to enable that, I am seeing operators that, as they push the bar up for process, They are also changing the profiles of the working professionals that they're working with. I think about Ben Sensenba, for example, a guy who has really invested in his systems and his processes, and it's impacted the, the talent pool of who he works with, being able to give opportunities to folks that are earlier in their career, not being in that position where, man, my lead, my senior PM with 30 years of experience left, and therefore I need a senior PM with 30 years of experience. I get that. You know what? That person has so much skill and so much acumen, and I have so much regard for that. But if we could construct and architect the work in such a way that somebody with much less experience could have an equivalent impact, why wouldn't we do that? You know, that just all around there seems to be a lot of value in that. So that's got me excited.
1: Mm, very cool. And finishing with this, um, it's 2027, five years from now. What are a couple of bold predictions? Mm-hmm. And don't, you know, don't worry, we'll bury this somewhere. in <laughs> <laughs> Time capsule. <laughs> we'll, pull, we'll pull it back up to make sure, you know, we hold you accountable. J- jokes aside. Um, no, um, what are the things that you think about that you think are interesting, but that you've got a confident better? You've got some conviction, in? Mm. we won't hold you to it, but uh, when you think about five years from now, what are some of the changes that we'll reflect back and say, wow. It used to be this way. Now it's this way. Um, what, what tops that list for you?
0: Mm. What tops the list in no particular order? One would be the durability of the industry. Mm-hmm. Timing-wise, we just happen to be having this conversation when the markets are really starting to go sideways. They were going sideways. Now they're really going sideways. I'm going to guess that's going to continue. And my prediction is that property management is going to pr- prove to be the right place to be. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bet that it will be the countercyclical asset class and industry that we all thought it was. That's really exciting to me. I'm also going to bet that that's going to create and open up some possibility and some some opportunity, right the gripe and the pain of churn that's been happening over the last five years. I'm expecting to see that switch and um, that's something I'm really optimistic about that gives me some no small personal comfort. Additionally, Technology feels like the thing that the conversation on, if predictions are happening, is an app going to replace us? Are are AI going to learn how to do property management? I am committed to, and therefore I'm betting on the thing that I'm planning on influencing. I don't know if this is like in the insider trading of bets, but the bet that I'm committed to is seeing small businesses harness and leverage technology in a more and more explosive, profound way that really narrows the gap between large organizations that have a bunch of developers versus the frontline property manager that found a retail app and the prol- prol- proliferation of retail apps. The beauty about investment in this space is that for the hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming in, there's going to be so much life creation death for each of those investments. Right In PropTech, How many vendors are coming up every year? Will all those survive? No, definitely not. But enough will survive that the intended effect will be there. It's already impacting the market, and I think that the retail product offerings and the enablement is going to be significant enough that it's going to really reframe the idea of needing to do that in-house. I think that that idea of needing to do that in-house is going to effectively, when I say in-house, I mean like having a a full-time developer on staff, I think that sense of loss or anxiety is going to instead give way to a realization that small businesses, and particularly the new talent coming into the organization, is going to be able to re-architect how the work is done. And when that happens, that's going to give rise to the next wave and generation of property management that's going to look a lot more like system design, system architecture, and really system-led growth where you're focused on the business not conceptually, but in a very specific way of working on highly leveraged activities that can bear a lot of weight. That personally is exciting to me. I'm leaning into that. And I think if there's one last thing that I would bet on, it would be that this industry will continue to be a highly relationally driven place. Mm -hmm. And that the fragmentation that has defined real estate to date And is the reason that apps don't run everything and that we still have the traditional brokerage side of thing and open door hasn't and Zillow haven't made the industry go away. It still is going to be a people business, a connection business. Can I look this person in the eye? Do I know this person? Brother, that that ain't going anywhere. I'm confident and I'm confident that the people who bet on that will continue to be disproportionately rewarded.
1: Hmm. Very cool. Jordan, I think that's a great place to wrap. Thanks again for for doing
0: this. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man. I always love being able to spend this time with you. glad we have this FaceTime. Cool.
1: That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really wanna encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, wanna encourage you to share it with other people. Um, you can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at, triple win at second naturecom. And we just wanna give more. We're, we're, there's no sales pitch here. Just wanna offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group. You can find our blog. You can find our newsletter. You can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we wanna see a better version of you and your business to that end. Keep it going. Feel inspired, take our encouragement, and we'll see you next time.